Welcome to Way of Life Podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life Podcast. Alrighty, um, why don't I come sit down, we'll get started again. So we've got some awesome questions here for you, Mike. Um, so I'll, I'll jump right into it. Um, what are your thoughts on progressive Christianity and is it leading us away from orthodoxy and rather following the culture? Okay. Um, this is one of those questions where you've got to define the terms. Mm. Um, I've been, I mean, I... You know, I believe women can participate at all levels of ministry. I believe on tr- uh, compassionate treatment of refugees. I believe on looking after the planet. So on that criteria, some people consider me progressive. Uh, but I also believe that the Bible is authoritative for the Christian life. Mm. Uh, I believe marriage should be to, between a man and a woman to the exclusion of all relationships. And I believe that Jesus is not merely one option. He is the only saviour. So some people consider me a raving fundamentalist. So um, the terms conservative and uh, progressive, I find, are very relative yeah. to the place. What I would say uh, for the types of progressive Christianity I see, um, I think the most common element is that they have certain values or certain experiences that they they see as primary and then they interpret the Bible as part of that. Or if anything, yeah. the Bible just provides the religious capital to a particular social and political vision that they have. Yeah. Uh, now, conservatives can do the same thing as well. They can just say, okay, I've got my conservative values and I'll cherry pick some stuff from the Bible yeah. to provide some religious capital. I mean, that door swings both ways. Yeah. But I would say on um, the progressive Christianities that I think are more indicative of that, um, it is it is experience or the political vision that is the authority. Yeah. And Jesus and Christianity is squeezed into that vision. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think it should be the other way around. You should have a Christian vision. Yep. You know, you have the, the Christian tradition, you know, the regular fide, the, the rule of faith. Um, you have the, 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 the Christian scriptures. What I would say is the, the wisdom and the consensus of the church Catholic mm. uh, around the world in all ages. And out of that, you try to develop a social and political vision. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's how what I would put it. But again, you know, I've been called a progressive. I've been called a, con, a, a conservative. These team yeah. terms are mostly relative. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to define. That was really good. Um, many have had experiences with God, but wouldn't say that they're a Christian or even read their Bible. Uh, without discount, discounting sorry, their experience, uh, what, what would you kind of say to that? Um, well, you know, it depends on the experience, but, you know, there is a thing called general revelation. We believe that God reveals himself through nature, through human constitution. There is a, um, as John Calvin said, there is a seed of divinity 
in all of us. I mean, you know, we've been created to have a relationship with God. So it's natural, normal, that people who are hardwired to believe and worship a creator would every now and again feel and receive these signals of God's divine nature Mm. uh, that they're getting. Um, You know, what I would want to say is, well, I mean, that sounds like a real amazing experience you've had, but maybe you've only got half the picture. Uh, you know, maybe you're kind of worshipping the unknown God, but that God has made himself known in the history of Israel, in mm. the scriptures, but, and above all in the person and work of Christ. That's yeah. kind of where I would say. So I don't think you need to play it down. Of course, you know, it depends what the experience is. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, well, that maybe you've got one half of the puzzle. Uh, would you like to see the other half? Yeah. No, that's a really good answer to that one. Um, how do you talk about ethics of God and biblical context to someone who doesn't believe or has wrong information. How do you nav- yeah. navigate a situation like that? Yeah, that's a good situation. I mean, the standard, the standard, you know, go-to argument I, I hear is where people say, you know, you Christians and your prohibitions about sexuality and stuff. And yet, you know, if you go to the Old Testament, it says don't mix fa- fabrics. And it also says, you know, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk, yet you have cheeseburgers and you wear you. So you're just arbitrary. Just, it's just hypocritical. You're just randomly picking and choosing the stuff yeah. you believe. And you're just picking the stuff that's the more hateful and harmful because that's what you like. Yeah. Uh, whereas I would say no. Um, you know, we know that not not everything in the Bible is is ideal. It may have been useful at the time, but it was ideal. I mean, you see that what Jesus says about divorce. You know, Jesus says, you know, the law of Moses does permit divorce. It, it did happen, uh, but he, but he says it's not ideal. Okay, mm. it's not ideal. Yeah. Okay, it was there. It was their kind. Um, as a concession because he says your hearts were hard or, you know, there's difficulties of living between men and women. Now let me say uh, divorce is a very sensitive and pastoral topic. I'm not trying to roll over anyone here. But but that's a good example how even Jesus says even stuff in the Bible was kind of like a a Band-Aid on a problem. Mm. Not everything was meant to carry on. Okay, yeah. not everything was meant to be there to be there forever. But he says there's some stuff that is. Yeah. Okay, and he gives the example of male and female together. That's the the, the union of men and women. That's good. Uh, but there's other stuff we're dealing with that that was you know instrumental. I mean, same thing with you know polygamy. Yeah. I mean, polygamy was never like yeah, this is a good deal. Let's do polygamy. <laughs> polygamy was always a kind of well, this sucks, but we'll have to take the least worst option at the moment. Yeah. So you've, you've got to understand the storyline of Scripture and the way that even Scripture recognises that some things that may have been necessary for a short time were not necessarily ideal. And a lot of the laws in the Old Testament are not like weird, crazy stuff. It's, it's basically how do you enable Israel's capacity to worship God in the land of Canaan, we are surrounded by pagan nations. How do you remain set apart? How do you remain holy? Mm. How do you have a temple that worships God and is a light to the nations? That's what's going on. And there's different aspects of that yeah. that will continue on into the New Testament. I guess my own follow-up question to that is how do you work out what continues on? Yeah, well, that, that's where the debates are. The uh, debates are do you go with... Um, uh, the reform view is you break the Old Testament law into civil, ceremonial, and moral. And you say the moral law, a.k.a. the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, that continues on, yeah. but the ceremonial and civil stuff, that's fulfilled in Christ. Uh, nice, neat, and easy, but I don't think it works because the Jews did not divide stuff up that way. Right. Okay. Um, 
Then you go out to the more progressive option and you say, well, the only thing that continues on is anything that promotes love. So if it's love of God, love of neighbor, if it's loving, you can take it from the Old Testament. If it's not, if it doesn't sound loving, mm. doesn't sound like something Oprah would say, then you can <laughs> you know, just leave it back there. Yep. Uh, again, a little bit of truth to that, a little bit of truth to that. I think you can find love is the fulfillment of the law, but there are some more complexities. Um, to be honest, Matt, the whole thing about, you know, the continuities between law and gospel uh, is something would need a one-hour yep. lecture. But genuinely, I would say um, there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that is um, about ethics, not just the Decalogue that does carry over mm. because it's explicitly affirmed by Jesus and the apostles. Yeah. Would you say um, a lot of what Jesus affirms at the very least is what you can kind of carry over? Well, I think that should be the bare minimum. Yeah. Um, if you have problems with the teachings of Jesus, you may want to consider a new religion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the very least, the teachings of Jesus, uh, you, you would argue, is the definitive way of understanding the Old Testament. Yeah, cool. Since no, he's I, the one who came to fulfill the law, which absolutely. means both te- both definitively teach it and put an end to certain things. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. Thanks, man. Um, what does the Bible say about leggings and the way we dress? Uh, how should we apply the passage? Uh, passages like 1 Timothy uh, 2 verse 9? Yeah, there was a uh, particular American um, theologian um, who did a one-hour podcast ranting about women should not wear leggings. Um <laughs> It's a, America's a different really world. In many, <laughs> in many ways, I love my American friends. Um, I like I like Chick Fil A. Um, I like I've got a lot of, but they do some crazy stuff there. Um, the irony is when the Bible talks about modesty, uh, it's not really about how much flesh you're showing. Uh, it's really about how much bling you're showing. So it's not so. I mean, so the modesty is mainly not about kind of like you know plunging necklines. It's more about the uh, how much is the necklace you're wearing. Mm. Uh, that's mainly what modesty is going. Um, I, I tend to be quite allergic to telling women how to dress uh, <laughs> because I've noticed that the, the it only ever applies to women. Uh, I don't see people um, telling um, men how to dress, uh, although I do have some strong feelings about Crocs and um, <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't, I don't like, yeah, I don't like seeing young scrawny, um, 19 year old men dress as a lumberjack. It really does annoy me. Um, but that's, you know, that's my own, that's my own problem. I'm with you on the uh, Crocs one there, mate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, but some people like to take their own Christian subculture and baptize it and say, this is the word of the Lord. And, you know, again, in every place, in every culture, we've got to learn how to discern because that whole thing about leggings, I mean, that's not going to work in the villages of Papua New Guinea where, you know, women can walk around bare-breasted, which is just treated as normal or something like that, you know. Uh, There's all sorts of things going on um, there. So um, be be wise who you you listen to and you get your advice from about when it comes how for men and women to dress modestly and respectfully. Yeah, that's good. Um, How accurate are the English translations of the Bible? And when should we look to the original language for a better understanding of the text? Well, I think you should always look to the original languages. <laughs> That's why we teach Hebrew and Greek. And uh, look, I mean, our English translations are good. Okay, now all 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 trans. We have to remember all translations have a little bit of interpretation. 
Mm. Okay. No translation is just word for word from the Hebrew or the Greek. All translations have an interpretive component. It's impossible to jump from Greek or Hebrew, Aramaic to English without having to make certain decisions. Yeah. Okay. And those decisions are all contestable. Okay. Um, You know, is it the righteousness of God or the righteousness from God? Okay. Both possible than Romans 1, but there's reasons for maybe preferring one over the other. Um, you know, and you've got to remember different translations do different things. Some translations will try to be a little bit more literal to give you a closer feel to the original language. This is like the NASB, yep. uh, the ESB. Some will try go phrase for phrase or idea for idea. That's where you get like the NIV or the NRSV or the Common English Bible. Yep. And then there are others that are a little bit more paraphrastic like the New Living Translation uh, or the Message. Now, I have no problems with stuff like the Message or the New Living Translation as long as you remember that it it is a thicker interpretive work. Now, like I said, all translations include an interpretation. Paraphrase is not a translation. It's more of an act of interpretation. It's like an interpretive gloss Mm. being applied to the text. Yeah. which is a great and fantastic tool for understanding, okay, mm. the text. Yeah. It's, it's, I find paraphrase very useful yeah. because when you want to understand something, you think, okay, how would I put that in my own language or what's another way of saying that yeah. to make the same point? What's a more descriptive or colourful way of putting that? So paraphrase is fine as long as you remember it's, it's the text given a more interpretive gloss or a yeah, more okay. interpretive um, restatement. Because uh, some people are like, oh, paraphrases, you know, they're born from the armpits of the devil himself. <laughs> um, not so. I think they are useful as an interpretive aid to reading scripture. Yeah. That said, I would not be using the message as my primary preaching Bible. Yeah. Uh, it's something I might quote in a sermon. Yeah, sure. But uh, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be using the message or the New Living Translation as my primary Bible of choice if I'm doing, you know, a sermon or even taking an exegesis class uh, at college. Yeah. No, that's really good. So you'd probably, even if you're just studying it yourself, you wanted to really go deep in the word, you probably wouldn't use something like the message or those kind of. I think it's very good. Like if you want to start thinking about application and interpretation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hey, look, you know, it's now it's now very easy to learn Greek. It's now very easy <laughs> to learn Hebrew. Yep. You can study online with Ridley. You can go to BST, Malian. There's a whole bunch of resources. Yep. If you really want to do it, it's 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 never been easier to learn Greek and Hebrew. Absolutely, I I struggle even just with English, and I could do a Greek at a <laughs> Greek at college, so everyone can do it. Um, we've got another question: How do you balance the Word and the Spirit in terms of relationship with God and everyday life? Yeah, that's right. That's very important uh, because you can you can be so focused on the Word, um, and it can and it can devolve into a very academic. Thing. You know, mm. I know I know a lot of biblical scholars who who enjoy the the biblical, the academic side of it, but you know, they they left their faith behind a long time ago, and it's it's kind of sad. Yeah. Um. So you 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 need the spirit, otherwise you you're just doing the study of religion. Yeah. Okay. It's without the spirit, Bible study is just the study of religion. Yeah. And um, it's 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 good for very little. At the same time, what's the point of having the spirit? Um, if you're being, you know, moved around by the latest fads, if you're fragmenting on, you know, this and that, and you're yeah. getting confused. So what's the point of having all the power, the spirit, the charisma, uh, the, the gifts, 
if you're not rooted in the wisdom mm. uh, that is the word of God. So yeah. you, you definitely you definitely need both yeah. uh, if you're going to have a healthy church and a healthy spiritual life. Yeah. No, that's a really good answer. This is a really quite a good question. How how should we interact in politics if we believe there should be kind of a separation between church and state? And that's kind of the next question is similar type of topic, but like uh, what is like, how can you please elaborate on kind of the dangers of like, what is even church separation of church and state and what are the dangers there? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a multi-layered question. Um, on the one hand, some engagement with politics, I think, is inevitable. Like I hear people say, you know, rather than being rather than being politics or in, or in government, we should be on the margins of society, being a prophetic voice, mm. standing up for the for the refugee, for the outcast, for the you know for for women, for children, which is all well and good. But what happens when people start listening to your prophetic voice and people want to know which candidate you endorse? Um, yeah. at, at that point, some positive engagement um, is unavoidable. In other words, at some point, um, if, if you have a, a prophetic voice that you want to influence the public square and the lives of people, mm. you're going to get a little bit Constantinian at some point, whether you like it or not. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, if people are listening to the prophet or the pastor and they want to know, well, what is a Christian? What is a Christian way of being a human being? And hey, let's do that. Yeah. Then you're going to end up interfacing with politics some way. Um, no one, no one can be completely apolitical unless you, you know, completely cut off yourself from society. But if you believe in being that voice mm. of reason, of hope and justice, some interface with politics is necessary. But what we need to stop are two extremes. On, on the one hand, we don't want to, we don't want to be a theocracy. We don't want to replace the governor general, um, with the Pope, Dalai Lama, chief rabbi or an ayatollah okay that always that always ends badly yeah it leads to it leads to nominal religion and then you end up preferencing one religion on the others yeah okay at the other side we also need something that will protect us from the state the state should not tell you how to do your religion uh and sadly at the moment in some states they're um they're wanting to do that particularly when it comes to things like marriage mm. um telling us how uh, i think the victorian government wants to provide some notes to churches on how they're allowed to talk about family marriage and sexuality yeah right uh, government the government should not be telling you how to do your religion mm. because if a government can tell you how to talk about marriage the same government can also tell you um who should be baptized yeah the same government can tell you um, you know, um, who can or can't be a leader in your church. Yeah. So the solution to that is what I would call a healthy view of secularism. Yeah. Uh, secularism means we're not going to be a, the- a theocracy, but secularism also means the government doesn't tell you how to do your religion. Mm. Okay. And that's very important. And I say that as an Anglican and the Anglicans have traditionally, um, arrested, uh, imprisoned Baptists for their religious, <laughs> deviousness so um we need a little bit of secularism even if only to protect the baptists from evil anglicans like myself yeah <laughs> that's really good hey i think we've probably got one time for one more question um is there some stuff in the bible about women not working how do we interpret whether this is contextual or still relevant for today 
I don't know anything in the Bible that the women women should not work. I mean, look at Proverbs thirty one. She's I mean, she's based, she's a businesswoman. She runs her own business. Yeah. <laughs> um, look at women like Lydia or Priscilla and Aquila. They're doing their own stuff. Or women who are in charge of households uh, like Nympha uh, or Chloe's Chloe's people. I don't know who Chloe is, but Chloe has people. She has an entourage. <laughs> if, if Chloe if Chloe has people, she's doing something really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the whole thing that women shouldn't work, uh, just stay at home. And can I also say that that sort of line is indicative of um, post World War Two white western affluent suburban culture yeah that is the only place it works you go to africa and um you know as i've heard from some of my african students mum will give birth to a baby you know spend a few hours recovering then hand the baby to grandma and go back to plowing the fields um (laughs) you know or stuff like that so the, the idea that you know women should be um ladies of leisure and just you know doing coffee with friends, Bible study, and then Prosecco for lunch. Good as it might sound, good as it might sound, uh, that's never treated either as the ideal or the criteria for being a Christian wife. Yeah. I have one more question. Um, what are your thoughts on women in leadership? Similar type of topic. What are your thoughts on women in, uh, in leadership? Is what is in the Bible only relative to the context or is it still something we should abide by today? Yeah, that's a big topic. Um, I changed my mind on this. I used to be slightly to the right of John Piper, uh, you know, or the whole complementarian um, scheme. Yeah. Uh, but for me, what really changed my mind was reading Romans 16. Yeah. And you see there you've got a um, Paul entrusts a woman, um, Phoebe, to deliver his letter to the Romans. Mm. And I don't think she read the letter, but it was her job to put the letter's contents into effect. Mm. So in other words, Paul was Phoebe's delegate, you know, to basically make sure the stuff that Paul's talking about happens in Rome. If Paul doesn't like women doing ministry or talking to men, that was a really bad choice. Mm. So then you go to Romans 16, you've got, um, you've got Junia who's outstanding amongst the apostles. Uh, you've got Priscilla who's in there too. You've got people like Mary who's called a coworker of Paul's just like Timothy and Titus. Um, so I don't know how you can, I mean, if you read for me, I read Romans 16 and my whole complementarian edifice kind of crumpled yeah. like, um, well, to be quite honest, the Brisbane Broncos um, defensive line these days. <laughs> um, Ouch. So it's funny because it's well, sad because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's where I've come to. Now, yeah, I know yeah. some people have some choice words to say about 1 Timothy 2. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I, th- I think Paul is responding to a particular context. And yeah. we're only hearing half of it because Paul says weird stuff like women will be saved through childbirth. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Like no woman's going to be saved, no, no woman's going to die in childbirth? Well, that's not true. Or you're not saved as a woman unless you have a baby go down the birth canal. Uh, again, I don't think that's true. So there's yeah. some sort of weird dialogue going on yeah, in Ephesus. Sure. And I think Paul is kind of parroting back part of it for the purpose yeah. of undermining it. So I do think there is a real prohibition in, in Ephesus, but I, I think it's being driven by local circumstances yeah. because I cannot line it up with Romans 16. Uh, if you want to read more on, on my opinions on that, or maybe you just want to um, – burn my opinions on that either way you can either read or burn i wrote a, a very a really small little book it's only about like i think about six bucks 
and it's got the colourful title. It's called Bourgeois Babes, Bossy Wives and Bobby Haircuts, A Case for Women. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, I like that. I think I, I've seen that one before. It's such a good title. Um, <laughs> why did you name it that? <laughs> well, you have to read the book to find out. Okay. You find out why there it's called. Bo- I have a fair idea called, by the, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, uh, the problem is if you, any, any book with the word babes in it um, can, <laughs> can get, um, can get um, nominated by certain software, like anti-porn oh, software. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, oh, no. um, so actually, and, and students can't call up the book in my in my own college's library because when you put in the word babes, the anti-porn wow. software kicks in. <laughs> I have to go to Kuru um, to get it, especially. <laughs> yeah, ask for ask for the paper, brown paper bag, the brown paper bag. Brown yeah. paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mike, it's been really awesome talking with you. Thank you so much for giving all of your time. I think we can give him a hand, hey? <laughs> well, thank you. It's great talking to you, Matt, and all uh, and all of my um, my my new friends in Wynnum. Always good to um, good to speak to some Queenslanders and do say uh, come around June, July. Say a prayer not only for the Queensland origin, yeah. but for me who was surrounded by these um, godless apostate. Um, uh, Victorians who do not know about the battle that wages in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> we will definitely be in prayer for you. We'll, we'll send you. our prayers thank for you, you brother. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, thank you guys for listening and thank you guys online for listening. If you guys found this helpful um, and you found any of these questions helpful and you want to share this with other people, we'd love for that uh, to happen. We really want this to benefit as many people as we can. Um, so thank you, Mike, and I, I hope you have an awesome rest of your night and uh, happy writing, my friend. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Uh, God bless you all in your ministry and your life and faith over in Widom. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. I'll catch you later. <laughs>